Test, test. I'm still Kent McKay. I'm still glad to be with you. And you're still at Kansas Community Church. So, um, good morning. Let me get this. Uh, I got to get my Bible out. Um, I don't know if you guys still use the traditional paper Bible. Yet yeah, you do. All right. And um, last week, Ryan came and talked to us about um, the early uh, second chapter of Acts, the church there as it was a new community that was forming and kind of drew parallels to where we are as a group together, right? And this week, he asked me to come forward and uh, talk about that, how that, what that looks like as an individual. Obviously, as a group, we're a body that's authentic and consistent and invested to what we want to be. And as an individual, how does that, uh, how do you fit in? Where do my giftings? And my, uh, my calling, how does that fit into all that? So that was what we want to talk about today. And as we turn to that um, uh, very personal topic, I want to turn to the words of a well-known sage, uh, Shel Silverstein. Um, <laughs> so, a uh, wonderful poem he wrote. Um, Lester was given a magic wish by the... Uh, Lester was given a golden wish by the goblin who lives in the banyan tree. Sound good so far? All right. And with that wish, he simply wished for three more wishes. So now instead of uh, just one wish, he cleverly had three. And with each of these wishes, he simply wished for three more wishes, which gave him three old wishes plus nine new. And with each of these 12, he slyly wished for three more wishes, which added up to 46, so was it 52. Well, anyway, he used each wish to wish for wishes until he had 5,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,
And, of course, the size of the dish and the money had in it changed over time, so the value of the talent changed. But it was always sort of the, the expression used in the ancient world for, like we would say, if you win the lottery or a million dollars, right? It was just a big pile of money. That's what talent means. And that's what Christ was talking about when he preached that parable. He's talking about the obedience of following through and making what you've been given multiply specifically for disciples, right? Growing more disciples. Acting while the master's away. We've simplified that down to don't waste the gift you've been given. And while that's not wrong, it's not the whole story, right? Um, so what I want us to do today is take that understanding of a gift that's been given to us. Um, and it's true, but we just want to wrap it up and set it off to the side and read with new eyes some of what's said in Scripture, particularly in Ephesians, about our gifts and our callings, okay? Sound good? All right, so in Ephesians, um, Paul has just spent the first three chapters, uh, and I've paraphrased it here in the Kent paraphrase. I, I, Paul, am so dedicated to this mission that it's taken over my life and my health and my freedom, and I'm now in prison, and I pray daily that you all will know God so deeply that you'll want to do the same thing, and then the church will be vibrant with God's glory. Therefore, chapter 4, right? So he spent three chapters talking about what should happen, and now he's going to tell you how to make it happen. It's going from theory to action right here with the therefore. Um, and what he says is, let's see, um, yeah, it changed. I therefore am a prisoner of the Lord, uh, because he's actually a prisoner for acting for the Lord. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling into which you've been called. Now notice, he's just said, I'm going to tell you what to do, and he doesn't tell us what to do. He tells us how to do it, right? The manner you're doing it, not where to walk, how to walk. Uh, the manner in which you've been called, walk worthy of the... Uh, calling in which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is great stuff. Staying together, unity, bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ. So, What's the first thing we notice about that passage? How many times does he say the word one? Eight. Good guess. Unity, oneness. There's, there's a unity of the Spirit. There's one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What do you think he's trying to tell them? You are one unit, right? You are one. You're not acting like you're one. That's what I'm writing to you about, but you're one. Um, in our context, by the way, I think um, if we see our church as... Two groups come together to do something great, we'll have missed the boat, right? This is not two groups, this is one body. And um, he was one body specifically with one calling, right? Men are worthy of the calling which you call, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into the one hope that belongs to your calling. It's one thing. And Paul is a pun a minute. If, I don't know if you're familiar with Paul, but he's always using wordplay. And when he says, I urge you to walk in a manner, the Greek word ekaleo there is actually, I call out to you. It's I urge you in the same way I might urge you to look out there's a bus coming, right? Like, you know, we, English suffers from understatement. And when he's urging you, he is screaming, there's a bus, get out of the way, right? That's, that's the level of urging we're talking about. It doesn't translate so well. So I'm going to, Again, Kent changed it to, I call out to you, which is actually literally what he said. 
I call out to you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. He's emphasizing your call, right? I'm calling out to you to remember the calling that you were called into. Do it together. Oneness, 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 oneness. Your calling is a unity. Um, calling is another word that we ported a new meaning into at about the same time for about the same reason. At the time of the Reformation, the church had become a professional effort. Um, and there was clergy, and there were people who attended the church. And the reformers said, no, 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 no. You do church when you go home. You take Christ with you. You work all week long. If you're a plumber, you work. Uh, you take your calling to be a disciple home, and you do it while you're plumbing. Um, Paul, when he wrote this, was speaking to slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised. You're all the same. You all have the same calling. The reformers took this and said, uh, if you're a nobleman or a tradesman, if you're a clergy or a peasant, all of you follow God when you go home. Do it all week long, right? You And Paul specifically in First Corinthians 7.20, yes, says each one should remain in the condition you were called, uh, that you were working in when you were called, right? So the condition you were working in means, no, no, you, you don't quit and go be a preacher because you accepted Christ and become a disciple. Christ called you where you were so he could reach the people where you were, right? Where you are is where you should function. So, but because we, the calling in which you're called, because that sermon was preached so often in the Reformation, we've ported the word sort of vocation into calling, right? And you're calling not necessarily vocation, right? That's a misalignment. Um, the disciples were very, very clear on the specific meaning of calling in their life because they had one by one stood still and heard the same voice that created the world. In the beginning, God created, um, that was the Word, and the Word was with God, and all things were made by Him, and not, nothing was made that, without Him that has been made. This refers to Christ. And Christ called out to them and said, follow me. And that living, luminous, creative Word called out to them, come be my disciple. And that is not a call you forget. That noise, that voice that created the world coming to you and saying, be with me, learn from me, be my disciple. That's a thing you don't forget. That is a, it takes on a life of its own, and that is your calling, the moment you were called. And Paul is calling out to them to remember that moment of calling in which they were called because they, the Ephesians, like us, if they've decided to follow and be a disciple of Christ, have heard that voice in some way. Maybe not as physically as Peter did on the shores of Galilee, but you have heard it and you've responded to it, and that's why you're a disciple in this congregation today. You're following the call to be a disciple. And the, throughout the New Testament, um, the, uh, they explained to, in these letters, obviously, I've said this before, but um, there were probably thousands of letters that bishops wrote to churches saying, glad everything's well, um, hope everybody's doing well. But we kept the ones that were like, people are drunk at communion and there's incest because those are really interesting. And how do you deal with those problems, right? <laughs> those, uh, there were problems in the church among people trying to be disciples. And the apostles and the bishops were always writing to them saying, no, no, here's how you do it right. And in doing that, they highlighted what it's like to be an apostle, what it's like to be a disciple when you're called. And in Matthew 4 and Mark 1, of course, they talk about the physical calling to follow me. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7.15, it says, you've been called to peace. Is that a separate calling for being a disciple? No. That's an aspect of being a disciple of Christ. If there's a choice between conflict and peace, if there's a choice between uh, contention and peace. You choose peace. That's the path of the disciple. Um, in Galatians, we're called to freedom versus legalism. Uh, these people were trying to figure out how much of the law they had to follow. And Christ said, no, no, as 
Paul said, as a disciple, you're called to, to freedom. You're called to peace. You're called to freedom. And here in Ephesians, we're called to unity. That's part of being a disciple. You can't be a proper disciple without being in unity. In Colossians, we're called together into one body in peace. In Thess 1 Thessalonians 4, we're called into sanctification, which is set apart for the work of God. You're called to be holy. We are sanctified people, like the priests of old, right? Um, in 1 Peter 1.15, you're called into holiness once again. In Hebrews, into faithful obedience. But these are not separate callings. This is all what it means to be a disciple, and this is what the apostles are telling us in the New Testament. Uh, in 1 Peter 2, here's one we like to skip, suffering. We're called into suffering. Um, yeah, Christ suffered. We're called into the suffering with him because one body, one spirit, one God and Father. Um, we're called into his kingdom, into his glory in Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, again, called into the glory through the gospel. In 2 Timothy, called into a holy calling. Uh, Hebrews were promised an inheritance as part of that calling, as in those in now in, um, brought into a sonship. Um, in 1 Peter 3, we're inherited, we inherit a blessing along with that. In 1 Peter 5, that blessing brings eternal glory. And in Revelations 19, we're called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're now united with Christ in the end. That is all the same calling. So, should you, as a teacher, Barrett, keep following God as a teacher? Absolutely. Is that your calling? Your calling is to be a disciple while being a teacher, right? All of us, individuals out into the community, as one body, reaching out our tentacles to the world. That's the calling. So Paul is calling out to the Thessalonians, calling out, remember the call, walk in a way worthy of the moment in which Christ called to you, called you into this discipleship. That's just the first section. <laughs> um, there's also, um, this, is, this passage has three sections. And um, when I, I'm going to put it all on the screen, although it's a little hard to read, because when I went to read through it, and I know some of you have done the same thing, you look at that and you say, ooh, that first part, there's lots of stuff in there about oneness. I like that. One faith, one God and the Father. Yes, one baptism. That part's great. I really dig that, right? It's all about oneness. I like that. This next part is, um, let me read it from my Bible here. Um, but a grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave them gifts to man in saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is one also who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill things. And that is theologically called weird, right? What is that? I was reading this great stuff about calling and gifting and oneness. So I'm just going to skip that um, and move on to the next bit. That's how we read, right? Um, we're just going to kind of gloss over that. And this last bit, what does it say? It says... Uh, and he gave apostles and prophets evangelists. I recognize those spiritual gifts were back on solid ground. I really like this part too. All right. Um, so we have a, a, a thing here that's really excellent. He talks about um, he gave to evangelists and the body. The, right. And that's also that we can equip the saints in the work of the ministry for the body of Christ until we've all attained the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That sounds awesome. I'm not going to waste the golden gift I've been given. I like it, but there's a problem with the grammar, right? It doesn't make sense with that in the part. And sometimes old grammar is hard, so we're just going to help it out by throwing a preposition in there. 
And he gave two some as apostles. What is he giving them? We looked up top. Oh, right. We've been talking about grace and gifts. So, right. He gave grace as a spiritual gift to some, and there were apostles and some were prophets. And that's how we read this passage, right? And it's not wrong, right? He does call us. He does give us giftings. He does send some out as apostles. Uh, but we have, if Paul were standing here, he'd be saying, well, yeah, but that's not what I just said, right? That's not wrong, but I was telling you something else. So, what you have to do then is go back and read the weird part. Which I will now, yeah, there we go. So here's the weird part. I'm going to read it out loud again. Therefore it says, says Paul, he doesn't say what it is. Um, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he also descended into the lower regions of earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above heaven that he might fulfill things. That's what he said. And we notice that the first bit there is set off in verse and in quotes, right? Which means it's a reference. It's an Old Testament quote. Psalm 68, that's right. It's from Psalm 68, actually. Yeah, it's Psalm 68, 18. Thank you, that's the reference. But you'll notice, as you look at that, it's not a direct quote, right? If I were to stand up here and say, you keep saying talent, I do not think that means what you think it means, right? You immediately know I'm talking about the prince's bride, and there's a whole story of kind of conversation about, you know, what that means, right? I'm, I'm making a commentary on your use of the word talent. And I don't have to say all that. I've made a reference to something, an allusion to it, and you get all that that entails. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's loosely alluding to Psalm 68, 18. And it's interesting to know that uh, Psalm 68, 18, Psalm 68 is an unusually complex psalm, lots of layers in there. And it, in turn, is referring to uh, the, the Law of Moses, the Deuteronomy and Leviticus specifically, some reference in Chronicles. And, by the way, when Paul wrote this, this psalm had been around about 600 years, that range. And when David wrote this psalm, it was 600 years or so after the original bit had been written. So he is looking back in history just as much as Paul was, right? So when David originally, or when, excuse me, when Moses originally wrote this in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, he was talking about the time that the Levites were called out from the children of Israel to become priests, right? He's talking about, there's several references, and I will happily give them to you later. I don't want to go into them all right now, but there's several references to God taking as captive or kidnapping or taking ransoming away the Levites so that he can then give them back to the children of Israel, specifically so that he can live among a disobedient people. I'm going to read Psalm 68, what David said. Um, the Lord is among us as he was at Sinai in holiness. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captive. You have received gifts among the people, meaning the captives you received even among the rebellious as well, that the Lord may dwell there among a rebellious people. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens, who is the God of our salvation. Um, so David was saying, just like God took captive the Levites, uh, do, you, do you guys know what the tabernacle was? There was? It was a mobile temple. When the children of Israel were in the desert, they had this tent temple, and they put it in the center of their camp where uh, culturally the chieftain's tent should be, right? And then they lived around God's temple, mobile tent temple, like they would have around a chieftain's tent. Um, and there was this moment when the fire of God at Mount Sinai came and filled the temple. And Acts 2, when uh, in what Ryan spoke about last week, when the fire of God came on the people, that's a reference in second chapter of Acts. God's fire is now sanctifying these people in the upper room in the second chapter of Acts. Again, this new church on earth, just like he had the tabernacle of old. So David is referring to the time when God came up to the tabernacle. And he's saying, now, on Mount Zion, now that we have this temple, 600 years later, 
you're coming up and raising up to the tabernacle, to the temple, and your priests are there, and they're going to be the way, the gift you give back to us, so that you can live among us a rebellious people. And if you don't know what he means by rebellious people, you really should read the Old Testament. It's all about people rebelling every chapter, right? Um, God says, I love you, and then you come on back, and then I'm going to punish you, so you'll come back, so you want to come back, and they do for like five minutes. And then it's over and over again, a rebellious people. But the way that a holy, sanctified God is able to live among a rebellious people is by having tentacles that he can reach out to. I've, I've taken captive those from among you, sanctified them, and given you a way to get to me through your priests and Levites. That's what he said. And they were gifts given to the people so he could live among a disobedient people. Paul says, Christ just went down into the earth, died, right? rose again and came to the surface of the earth in the same way he went up to Mount Zion in days of old. And he's bringing up people that he's kidnapped from among us. That would be the apostles. That would be the disciples of Christ that have chosen to follow him, that were sanctified at the day of the second chapter of Acts. I've pulled these people and given them back to you as gifts. And if you're not getting this, Paul is saying to the Ephesians, you are the gifts. You, individual, and I've given some as apostles and some as prophets. I've given them different ways. They're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12. All gifts of the Spirit are just manifestations of the Spirit working through you. That Spirit that came and fell during the second chapter of Acts and indwells all those who follow Christ is not the gift. That is a gifting of God to the world through you, the gift. You are gifted to the world. Which would make, by the way, us capable of saying a couple of things. One, I'm God's gift to the world. Um, thank you very much. Um, and if you did that, um, you obviously would have missed a little bit about the nature of God. Um, another thing it could make you do is recognize that you're living in the presence of a holy, real God. And it should, you should be in fear and trembling in all of the opportunity you've been given daily. We as a church given as a gift to this community. I hope that's not too dramatic, and I hope it is as heavy as it sounds, because it's real. Um, it's, as we go forward as a church, we must know that we, in our positions of serving, our gifts from God to the world. And that doesn't make us grand. It should put us in all of the living God, so that with humility and fear and trembling, we seek his aid to, as it says in verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of our call. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness and patience. Because if you've just been gifted, if you have the living God indwelling in you, you should feel your insignificance in his presence. And how much he loves you despite that. So that is a call. we have to walk worthy of the calling in which we've been called here. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 um, tells us how the body of Christ can then take on the character of Christ as we're indwelled with this spirit and we're sent out on our mission as gifts to the world. We are his canvas in Ephesians 2.10 and his community in this church. Nice name. Um, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So that we can thanks for the, equip the saints for the work of the ministry and building up the body of Christ. Um, until we attain the unity of the faith, which is what we're seeking. The faith pulls us into unity. We don't get unified in the pursuit of faith. And when we run into each other, we're always assuming goodwill because we're all headed the same direction. If something is not you know, done in a way that doesn't make sense to you, you assume goodwill. 
you assume it's being done for the purpose of the mission, you can check. But you check saying, oh, how is this going to help the mission? And if it's not, then you have an opportunity to talk to somebody. But um, you're not correcting. We're going someplace together, right? Um, Paul, um, and, and the goal is, of course, to equip the saints. Uh, so I'm going to summarize that. Um, uh, we are here by his grace to use his giftings faithfully as we walk in unity in our calling to discipleship in whatever position we were in when we were called. That's why we're here. Paul wrote about the difficulties of doing that um, if and when there's friction between us, right? Um, that's most of the New Testament, in fact. Um, sometimes there's not enough space. Sometimes I was doing that. Why are you doing it for me? Sometimes you don't recognize my gifting. Hey, I'm right here. And that's also you're still focused. That's what happens when we start thinking about the golden gift we've been given, right? And the calling that's been put on my life. Why don't you recognize my calling, right? If we're focused on the mission, this doesn't, this is not as big a stumbling block. Um, but, and it is not new to us. It's not specific to the modern age. Paul talked about it constantly later in this verse, in this chapter, uh, verse uh, 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And that makes it a little heavy. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Uh, he offended you, but... God forgave all your sins. I'll just let you do with that what you will, right? Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, though I have all these great gifts and don't exercise them with love, I'm just like that kid up there with drum kit, drumsticks on the drums, right? Just a noisy gong and a banging cymbal, right? If I'm up here just for me, it's a waste of your time and it's not pushing us toward the mission. And... Um, Philippians 2, when Paul thought he was about to die, his last request, which he thought his last request, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others as above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each to the interests of the others. And they struggled with this. Who would pitch in? Who was doing the right work? Who should be followed? Uh, Matt talked last week about uh, the variety of giftings. Paul said some, I've given some as apostles, some as prophets. And Matt talked about, I'm sorry, not last week, I guess it was two weeks ago, yeah. Um, for those who missed it, yeah. apostles and prophets, they're looking at the lost. They're moving quickly. They're showing up. They're telling the word. They're moving on. They're acting unilaterally. Pastors and teachers, they're slow. They're deliberate. They're working with the church. They're building up patterns of habit over time. This is how, the, how you train your body to, be, to live in a sanctified way. And those two don't feel compatible, right? When the apostle says, I'm going to have a sermon, and the pastor's like, but we have a sermon series, you know. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a conflict there, and we work with one another in this effort because it's both people filled with the Spirit, working in the calling in which they were called to bear fruit in the world. We've been grafted into Christ, John 15, so that he flows through us and we bear fruit. What's the nature of fruit? What makes fruit fruit? Chris, where are you? Seeds, yes, Right? What's the nature of a seed? It grows new plants. If we're doing our role, if we're grafted in Christ, we'll know it because we're fruitful, because we grow more fruit. The mission is to spread disciples. God called the Levites in, and Christ called the modern church in so he could push us out. You're pulled in to be sanctified, to be pushed out as gifts. So I'll rephrase this. Together we will use our giftings faithfully as we walk in unity and our calling to discipleship walking worthy of the calling in which we were called. 
We are called as disciples and gifted back to make more disciples. And um, I'm going to give that to you in a very small packet so we can take it with us this week. And that is, we are called out as disciples and gifted back to make more disciples together. That's the mission, right? I hope you read that. Go, go home and read Ephesians 4, 1 30, uh, through 13 again. I hope you take this phrase in mind, and I hope you look through the Old Testament and discover this in your life. Let it sink in deeply.